A reading from the book of Genesis. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, See, I am now establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, all the birds and the various tame and wild animals that were with you and came out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all bodily creatures be destroyed by the waters of a flood. There shall not be another flood to devastate the earth. God added, this is the sign that I am giving for all ages to come of the covenant between me and you and every living creature with you. I set my bow in the clouds to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will recall the covenant I have made between me and you and all living beings so that the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all mortal beings. The word of the Lord. Teach me, for you are God, my Savior. Your ways, O Lord, are love and truth to those who keep your covenant. Remember that your compassion, O Lord, and your love are from of old. In your kindness, remember me because of your goodness, O Lord. Your ways, O Lord, are love and truth to those who keep your covenant. Good and upright is the Lord. Thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice, and he teaches the humble his way. Your ways, O Lord, are love and truth to those who keep your covenant. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Beloved, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison, who had once been disobedient, 
while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism, which saves you now, it is not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. The word of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of the Lord. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Beloved, as the season of Lent has unfolded and it seems like we're moving so rapidly into these days of sojourn with the Lord Jesus in the setting of the desert, to do what? To go to war. We hear how Mark employs that term immediately. He wants us to get in touch with the action of Jesus, the dynamic way in which he has gone headstrong into doing what his Father has sent him to do. He's fully commissioned. He's been anointed from his baptism. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him, and we're told the Spirit drove him out into the desert. And that verb, drove, in the Greek is the very same verb that is used when Jesus drives out the demons. 
So this is a very forceful, a very definitive movement of divine grace, of God's initiative moving into the world that has been under the grip of the devil that has been in the embrace of darkness. But now it's time. And what we hear Jesus speaking at the outset in the wake of the arrest of John the Baptist is the clarion call that maybe some of us heard as we had the ashes impressed upon our foreheads on Ash Wednesday, repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, the good news. And the good news is that as we hear from the first reading from the book of Genesis, the covenant God established with Noah at a time in which the world at that time, the known world at that time, was overrun by sin and all types of behavior that was absolutely contrary to God's original plan and desire for his creation. He says to Noah, he gives him a directive to establish this ark, an ark, mind you, that was three stories high. And it would be, for all practical purposes, it would become a floating Eden. Just as we hear the account of the first creation in the book of Genesis, the whole earth was covered in water. The Spirit of God, the mighty Ruha, breathed over the waters. The waters began to teem with life. And with all of that, we know how everything progressed with the creation of Adam and then Eve we see how Adam was given dominion. He was given directives of how to be the responsible steward of God's creation. And so it happened. He would do this. He would carry on this duty, but the serpent would enter the scene and weave his clever words to create and establish doubt, to tempt them towards grasping at what the Lord had already intended for them to participate in. And so there he was in a pristine garden, lush with everything you could ever hope for, and he failed to adhere to the covenant the Father had established with him. And now we look at the contrast of Jesus as Mark presents Jesus as the new Adam. He's in anything but a lush garden. He's in, a, in, a, in an environment that is that, that of extremes. In the daytime, it's hellishly hot. And in the evening time, the piercing cold. And where are the provisions to sustain life? There are few and far between. He's fasting 40 days, 40 nights, being tempted by the same serpent. But Jesus is victorious. Because he maintains his identity. He knows that he is the son of, the, of God. And he knows that he's come not to do what he wants to do, but the will of the one who sent him. And although we don't have the details that Matthew and Luke give us in their gospel accounts of the temptation of Jesus in the desert, we don't need them. We know full well our own experience within our own bodies. We know what it is to contend with the pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Jesus declares to us, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if he declares that a kingdom is at hand, that should raise in our hearts and minds a question, something to consider. Are we allowing him to rule over us? 
to reign in our hearts and in our minds in such a way that as we contend with the very same temptations he willingly subjected himself to. And to what end was he, did he allow himself to be tempted? Did the father allow his son to be tempted? Was it to do away with temptation that you and I would never have to worry about it anymore? Not at all. That we would now have full confidence of knowing we have been empowered. We now have the capacity to see temptation for what it is. And to put the pull of the flesh, the world and the devil, under the submission, under the governance of the spirit of the living God. Because by the time everything will be said and done, as we move resolutely with the Lord towards Jerusalem, as our opening hymn reminds us, we have set our eyes on your hills, Jerusalem, our destiny. We may not know the end for us. <laughs> we may not know the end. But here we have set our hearts on the way. No one, none of us journeys alone. We are, when we are one with each other, but we are following behind the one who leads us into the battle. And let us be resolved to follow close enough in the wake of our master, of our Lord, that the dust from his sandals saturates us. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But there will be a resurrection. This is where St. Paul's, um, St. Peter's words to us are so powerful. Listen to what he says. Christ suffered once for sin, for all sins, righteous, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God, put to death in the flesh. He was brought, brought to life in the spirit. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah. So we see a connection. The, this is a time in Lent and Advent. We see these, the readings, all three readings are connected. They show us a common theme. They carry it through. In it, he says, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism, which does what? Saves you now. This is a directive that comes. You know, many of our separated brothers and sisters in the faith, our Protestant brothers and sisters, don't see, don't see baptism as the means to be saved. They see it as a symbol confirming their faith in Jesus. But it's, it's clearly stated, baptism saves. And if it wasn't essential, then why is it that the last words Jesus speaks before his ascension to, to back into heaven Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and know that I shall be with you always, even until the end of the world. This is a directive that is meant to you, for you and I to take hold of, especially when we're in times of fasting, when we are willingly depriving ourselves putting ourselves in a position to turn away from that which is killing us towards that which gives life, the person of Jesus Christ. This isn't some abstraction. This is a reality. This is happening in real time. Real time. 
Noah, we can say as we hear the, re the first reading, it's a reminder that a new creation had to be established. And Moses was a prefiguration of the new Adam. But Jesus, we know, is the definitive new Adam. This is what St. Paul speaks of in his letters. But Mark wants us definitely to be in touch with this. And look at the parallels. The first Adam I already mentioned, in a paradise. And yet that didn't make a difference when it came down to it. He allowed himself to be seduced. But Jesus, resolute, very mindful of who he was and what he came to do. In, in an area in which he had, if, any, if anything, he had every reason to give in to the temptation, but yet he did not. And then the wild beast. Remember, that's all Adam had was wild beasts around him before the creation of Eve. And he gave names to them. So Jesus was contending with beasts. Angels ministered. We're told that angels actually took care of, of Adam and his needs in the garden. It's believed. You can go back and read the account. They were there making his meals and stuff for him. And so we see Jesus had angels ministering to him as well. After, after he dealt with what needed to be dealt with. So we need to be in touch with the reality of the significance of the covenant God has established with us when we were baptized. We have the joy of catechumens journeying with us in this time of renewal. For them, they will be the first. They are preparing to enter those waters. Not just to have dirt washed off their heads, not at all. To receive the very spirit of God that gives them the consciousness to be able to discern and to see as Christ himself sees and discerns the will of the Father. So as to be responsible and effective in word, but especially deeds of charity and mercy. So following this homily, we're going to have that moment of the right of the calling forth of those who are to be amongst the elect. They're going to sign their names, you know. There's the old gospel hymn. Sign me up for the Christian jubilee. Write my name, write my name on the roll. I've been changed, I've been changed since the Lord has lifted me. I want to be ready when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes. And I'll leave it at that. He has come. He remains among us in mystery through word and sacrament. We are now being charged in the season of Lent to intensify what he expects us to already be doing all the time as his disciples, to pray, to fast, and give alms. Intensify them, for this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, let us make a resolute decision today. As we are now a part of the plans of God, we are now writing new chapters by our lives in Christ, hidden in Christ now, but to be revealed in the kingdom of glory to come. We are now writing new chapters of how God's providence is at work, how God desires for all of his creation to be restored to the original state of holiness. Let us take hold of this season, not with gloomy faces. Be encouraged, be enthused,
be incentivized to read the word of God with new conviction, to get involved with the works of charity and mercy that the community provides. Six-week presentations on Tuesday evenings, Father William Maestri, a man gifted with the charism of teaching. We have him at our disposal. And believe me, he has something to say when he opens his mouth, as you know. He's even better than me. He goes longer than I go. <laughs> Don't you long for the day, for the time, when we will no longer be weary of anything, but we will always be in a new moment every second of every experience of God forever. Until then, we must be willing to do what's necessary, to turn away from what's killing us and to embrace that which gives life, namely the Lord Jesus who declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. God love you. <laughs>